Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud takes at soothing decibels. I am your host, Maxwell Lewis Sanders, and this is episode 48. For those new listeners out there, Max Volume is a podcast that worships at the altar of pop culture, a place where the silly and inane are of the utmost importance. It's a podcast where we discuss heavy topics like Bruce Willis's wig choice, largest sci-fi and plot movie holes, and answering the age-old question of whether George Clooney is a great actor or simply excellent at playing himself. No quote too minor, no plot too small. This is a pod for the TV geeks and movie freaks. So welcome all weary travelers. Your boredom ends here. Before we delve into the topic at hand, let's delve into five minutes of Seinfeld-level daily observation. So, Multiplicity, the movie, it's underrated, and I'm upset that it's underrated. And I don't understand why people don't adore it. It's Michael Keaton, mid-90s, cloning himself three times so he can manage his life easier in a more simplistic way. You know, like one guy can do the construction job, he can hang out with the kids, and each one of his clones has a different personality. One's really macho, one's kind of flamboyant, and one's basically a small, a large child, (laughs) which is pretty funny. And I don't know, it just has this charm and unexplained sci-fi kind of twist angle that made Groundhog's Day such a treat. So it's criminal that not many people know it or quote it. I quote it all the time and no one knows what I'm talking about. And there's nothing worse in life than quoting a movie and you get that deadpan, dead-eyed look from someone. It's deflating, it's humiliating, it's embarrassing. I don't like it. So no one knows what I'm talking about. And I demand some of you watch it and discuss it with me. So all my 9, 10, 11, hopefully 12 by the end of the day, listeners, watch Multiplicity and get back to me. Yeah, and plus Michael Keaton is the forgotten 80s A-list celebrity, and it really makes me sad. This dude had every pitch. He was a freaking great, like, film noir Batman. He was goth, weird, and silly as Beetlejuice. Who else could have been Beetlejuice? I don't think anybody. He was fantastic. He could do slapstick as well as important films about mortality and celebrity, like Birdman. Why doesn't he get more love? I don't get it. He's also classically good-looking, and he takes himself... Not too seriously. I think he's, he said that he's Batman. I forget, did he have a, a winning speech for an award where he just went up and he's like, I'm Batman. I thought that was cool. So I'm here for you, Michael, always and forever. And in unrelated news, I realized yesterday I was eating way too much oatmeal on a daily basis. Kind of embarrassing. Uh, doing one cup for lunch and one cup post-dinner with some raisins and some raw almonds. It seems harmless enough, right? I mean, one cup, one cup, but two cups, not a big deal. One cup sounds like a little teacup, a toddler's princess dollhouse party. But, uh, and plus I'm not, I only got into cooking in the last year, so I don't really have measurements down. One cup sounds innocent. And plus I love snapping the whole almonds in half with my teeth and letting them kind of cascade down into the bowl of oatmeal. For some reason it feels animalistic, kind of I'm using my canines, you know, because it's mostly because I'm a coddled, lifelong suburbanite. So, I mean, anyone who's, I don't know, killed an animal or gone hunting or shovels their own driveway, I mean, they're definitely, you're definitely shaking your head at me right now. But that's fine. I'm aware. But the oatmeal, turns out, is not so harmless. You know, it looks harmless. It's bland looking. You know, it's kind of sloppy. It's, I mean, it's kind of that bland brown, gray color. But I'm eating like a thousand plus calories a day on these two bowls of oatmeal alone. So I'm going to have to attempt uh, this whole new age moderation thing people are raving about and dial it down to maybe a bowl a day or just a bowl every other day. So whoever invented moderation, you can suck. You can, you, you suck. I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'm not going to say what you can suck because I don't like them or the concept. I just don't. 
if something is excellent and enjoyable and a joy to my life, I'd like to enjoy it until I hate it. You know, when you like listen to a song and then you're like, okay, I'm gonna listen to this till I hate it. But for me, that hate never comes. I can listen to Wonderwall by Oasis or Strobe by Deadmau5 once a day, every day until I'm dead. Or eat the same Honeycrisp apple or four to six bananas for a snack until I'm pushing daisies. Boom. Death expressions. Okay, pushing daisies. I like it. So off the top of my head, what other ones are there? We got kicking the bucket, becoming worm food, buying the farm. I don't understand that one. Cashing in my chips. Went to meet my maker. Isn't it fun that we kind of create all these uh, random uh, analogies for death, like metaphors? It's just these PG terms for dying. It's just good for humanity. It's like we're a weird bunch of molecules, aren't we? So speaking of weirdos, that brings me to my topic today. Uh, the underrated six-season sitcom that was Community. Now, if you haven't seen the show, it's on Netflix right now. If you, you probably didn't see it while I was out. Well, maybe you did. Maybe you were cooler than me. But uh, it's kind of like a forgotten gem. And now people are realizing it on Netflix and seeing how great it was. It's created by Dan Harmon and the Russo brothers. And it's basically the minor league years for the greatest entertainment talent we currently have in America, which is pretty cool. You know, it's watching... LeBron's rookie year, or it's watching Michael Jordan at UNC, or Bo Jackson at Auburn. It's just watching them at, before that they came to their full prowess. And if you don't know, Dan Harmon went on to create the iconic comedic, comedic landscape uh, of Rick and Morty, and the cartoon show. And the Russo brothers directed all the Captain American movies, and Avengers Infinity War, and Avengers Endgame. Which not only were, I think, the two most profitable movies in the history of cinema, while they were while they were released, but they're also seriously critically acclaimed and really well done. So chew on that for a second. And acting wise, Donald Faison played Troy, and he cut his teeth here before becoming the creator, writer, and pretty much nerd god uh, that created the FX show Atlanta. That's equal parts kind of Seinfeld and Twin Peaks. It's just so smart, so fun, so unique. He's just he can tell he's going to be a voice for the next fifty years, both acting and also he's really a rapper too. Childish Gambino. Heartbeat's my favorite song. It's a really good one. Or Bonfire. But, uh, and you also know, like, the This Is America video, which is just wild. So, I mean, what made this basic sitcom about a community college so endlessly watchable? I mean, it's, I mean, it's a pretty basic premise. So, it had this diverse uh, cast of personalities. The central study group that was the central characters of the show. You had this group of seven. It was uh, Jeff, played by the hunky Joe McHale. So you might know him from, he did, he took over, I think, the talk suit from Greg Kinnear, you know, where he kind of talks about celebrity stuff and makes fun of people on the internet, kind of like a Tosh.0, but like cleaner kind of vibe. And he's a self-involved lawyer who never actually went to college and kind of forged a transcript and he got called out finally. And now he has to do college all over again in order to get back to his swanky life. Seems like an 80s show. And he's an all-time fun, jerky leader, you know, anti-hero with a heart of gold kind of character drinking scotch and, you know, cares way too much about his body and vanity, has daddy issues. And I mean, just great talker. He could talk a cat off a fish cart. Like he lied to whoever he wanted, whenever he wanted to get whatever he wanted. But over the show, he ends up, you know, slowly using it for good and realizing how kind of crappy a person he was. And possibly good looking too. It's just fun to watch. I mean, this guy's made of stone. I think he played tight end at the University of Washington. Big dude. He's like 6'4", probably like 230, 240. He's got one of those uh, just big bodies and i mean they make like a thousand ryan crest some ryan seacrest jokes because he kind of looks like him just pumped up a little bit more and he's also one of the best at 
the end of an episode of a sitcom, like let me sum up the lesson we learned in a profound 30 second soundbite. Just really good at that. I mean, I think they nailed that character and what they wanted from him. And then you have the rest of the gang who were more stereotypical and filled basic sitcom roles, which is comforting. You know, this is a matzo ball soup when you're not feeling so good or, uh, you know, your mom heating a blanket and, you know, telling you it's going to be okay while you watch The Price is Right while you're staying home from school in third grade. It's mm, good stuff. It's a warm bath of plot lines and character arcs you're, you know, you're, you're familiar with. They got Pierce Hawthorne, played by Chevy Chase, as the doddering old man who was stuck in 1950s beliefs, but eventually learns and grows somewhat. I mean, he's still pretty, pretty stuck there. And, and I don't know if it's aged well. I don't think the show, if it came out in 2020, I think Pierce would probably be canceled by episode two. But uh, he learns from the group of, you know, his diverse young new friends. You got Britta, who's the pretty mid-20s radical feminist. She's kind of the do-gooder who is fighting for noble causes, but has no real self-identity. And strangely, uh, she gets stupider and stupider as the show goes on. She was fine as just this kind of smarmy, kind of Jeff liked her, and they'd hook up once in a while. And like them back and forth was kind of fun. But instead of making her kind of an intellectual rival of him, they just made her dumber and dumber. And I don't know why shows do this. It's amusing, but it's just jarring. I mean, why... Why just make a character? I mean, wait, if you're reading the script as her, the person who played Britta, I think it's Jillian Jacobs. She just reads it. She's like, why am I so gosh darn stupid now? I wasn't stupid to begin with. I mean, she's literally like having trouble counting or just, I think she poops her pants once or twice. I mean, and as a bartender, she can't do basic math. I mean, it's, it's crazy when shows do this. I wonder what the, you know, uh, statistics or what the stats are of why they do this. The best example I can think of is Eric Matthews from Boy Meets World. He started off as like the good-looking, kind of C-minus student, older brother of Corey. By the end of it, he's naming himself Runs With Squirrels. He's joining cults, and he's just screaming Feeny at the top of his lungs. And he's just nuts. I mean, it's, it's fun, and it's, it's, I guess it's memorable when you just like, what happened to you? So part of the group, too, is Annie, who's the know-it-all. She's a, a student, control freak, wound really tightly, keeps the group on task. But eventually, you know, once in a while, has a breakdown or a meltdown that's always fun. Shirley is a divorced church-going mother of two who's always pushing religion and her baking skills on the group. But she, sometimes she can be uh, as rebellious and kind of badass as the rest of the people she's trying to reform. And then you got, uh, God, what's his name? Wait, no. Oh, my God. I'm going to say his name wrong. Hold on. Oh, this is seriously embarrassing. Oh, shoot. I said Donald Faison before. No, that's not. Oh, my God. Hold on. The guy who played Troy, his name is Donald, but it's not Donald. Oh my God, I'm really embarrassed by this because Donald Faison is the uh, surgeon from Scrubs. So uh, Donald Glover, oh my God, sorry. A thousand apologies to Donald, Donald Glover. I wrote Donald Faison the first time, I think because I watched Scrubs last night. So it's Donald Glover who, oh my God, super embarrassed, sorry about that. So Donald Glover plays Troy, who's just this kind of man-child, former jock, who is a simplistic joy uh, on the show. And he has this Ron Burgundy level of kind of confident idiocy moments that are a joy each time. And he's just fun to watch on the show. And then, so these are all pretty stereotypical people. And then there's the final member of the group who makes the show just a unique viewing experience. Now I've watched a gross amount of television. I'm talking eight to 12 hours a day, six, seven days a week from the time I've been four to now. So 30 years. That's a long, I mean, that's a long time. I mean, I've watched every sitcom, every NBC, ABC, CBS show out there, 
rip through Netflix, Prime, Hulu, HBO Max, all the HBO shows, Showtime, uh, Cinemax, everything. I've just gone through it all. And no one has existed on the small screen like this character uh, before me, uh, before him. And I'll argue that he kind of changed the trajectory of TV and film uh, forevermore with how he performed on this weird little NBC 21-minute sitcom. His name's Abed Nadir, and he's an early 20s gangly kind of TV and movie freak who's clearly on the spectrum of autism. They bring it up pretty clearly in the beginning. He doesn't show or understand human emotion. He can't pick up on social cues or of anyone around him, and he kind of speaks in only truths, no matter how brutal or inappropriate they are. And the only way he relates to the world is through movie and TV tropes he's seen a thousand times over. So the magic of a bed is basically he's the only one on the show who clearly knows he's on a television show. And the others in the group think he's crazy. Like you would if, you know, you had a friend who's like, this is all, you know, a television show. It's like, no, where are the cameras? What are you talking about? But in the world of community, which is if the world of the community was a real world and not a TV show, he'd be crazy. But as we've established, they're on screen and he is indeed correct. So, I mean, it makes your brain hurt a little bit. So he delightfully kind of prances around the show almost as a wizard-like figure because he has this power of knowledge that he can kind of turn the show into whatever he wants. So he can turn an episode or like a situation where there's a chicken finger demand in the cafeteria and the group decides to get a bed uh, working as the chicken uh, fryer so that he can, you know, dish out the chicken fingers. And they turn into this good Goodfellas mobster-like racket about how the study group gained power through these chicken fingers. And he ends up doing voiceovers like Ray Liotta, and he can pause uh, the movie or the show, and he can freeze frame, and he can time hop between scenes. It's this meta self-awareness that allows for endless episodes that can be realistically based on formulaic classic movies that both imitate them and mock them incessantly. I mean, I've never seen anything like that before. Like, there was an entire zombie apocalypse episode where the dean buys expired, I think expired army taco meat, and uh, it turns everyone into these rabid zombies. And it's kind of this gross, terrifying, and hilarious uh, zombie apocalypse, you know, basically bottle episode. And it seems like it happened in the show, and then they forget about it by the next episode. I mean, that's what they can do. They can make an, make a chaotic thing that seems utterly important to the world to the world at large, and then just... Forget it, and then move on to uh, like, oh, I hope we get a B in uh, macroeconomics. They did multiple paintball war episodes that took from Mad Max, Escape from New York, Hateful Eight, Star Wars, and The Magnificent Seven. I think Justin Yin, who just directed the Fast and Furious Five and a bunch of the Fast and Furious movies, cut his chops with action with uh, this paintball episode. They have great directors that come in for one or two episodes and just kill it. And then later in life, you're like, oh, of course they could do it well because they did it. I mean, the amount of action that they do for a stupid paintball episode on a NBC sitcom, it's top grade action. It's really fun to watch. Or there's one episode where Troy and Abed had a pillow fort versus a blanket fort fight. And they turned it into this Civil War-like conflict that was edited and shot like a Ken Burns war documentary, you know, where you have the like old-timey pictures and the fiddle playing and the voiceovers and the, you know, people getting interviewed for the docs. There was an entire episode shot in 8-bit Super Nintendo-style uh, video game where the characters explore video game world to win Pierce's fa- father's family fortune. I think that one won uh, an award. It was just, I've never seen that before. And it's just something I really, it's something you didn't know you wanted. And then you get it and you're like, oh my God, this is great. And 
I mean, they even did a stop motion claymation Christmas special where Abed was having a break from reality. So he made the entire world of the show a well-known, calming kind of cartoon, like Christmas cartoon. And it's a brilliant balance of being in on the joke and unsure how much the other characters actually knew. So, I mean, the fact that Abed, you know, uh, his mom didn't make it for Christmas that year, so he kind of broke from reality and tried to make everything happy around him. So they're having like a, a group therapy session with him, and he's closing his eyes and envisioning them as stop-motion characters, but we're seeing them as clearly stop-motion characters. So you're wondering where the fourth wall ends and where the show begins. I mean, it's just this, you feel connected to the show because Abed seems like he's talking to you. It's just unbelievable. I mean, they had a four-season-long arc about multiple timelines, because Jeff threw a dice in the air once to see who would pick up a pizza. It's like, if it's number three, Abed's going to get it. If it's number two, Troy's going to get it, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they said, I mean, Abed's like, wait, don't do that because you're going to make six different timelines in a multiverse. And Jeff's like, ah, that's stupid. And then they show like there's six different universes about six different results of what happens when each person had to go get the pizza. And it's just mind-bending stuff for a sitcom. And this eventually was perfected in Rick and Morty and the final Avengers movies. So it's like, this is the nascent stages. This is the cocoon before the butterfly. You know, they uh, they cut their teeth and practiced with this show. And they do it well. But like then the, by the time they get to the Avengers and Rick and Morty, they've kind of mastered it. There's a ton of Rick and Morty stuff too. Like the Story Train episode. Uh, there's episodes on community that directly relate to that all the callback stuff you know i mean and the fourth wall breaking like i said this is where uh dan Harmon and the russo brothers learn and they do like multiple law and order good cop bad cop routines about silly topics like there's a bandit who puts quarters down people's butts when they're picking up things and they call me i think ass crack bandit and they treat him like a criminal like a serial killer like this is like an important case just fun to watch you know not important situations being taken way too seriously by funny, comedically timed actors. Just great. And having this kind of detached movie lexicon uh, giving us his lens, Abed's lens throughout the show, made each episode really unpredictable. You didn't know if you were going to get an episode about, oh, God, we need to pass this exam, or uh, oh, our diorama is due tomorrow, or who broke our science uh, experiment? Let's find out. Uh, to uh, the next episode could be like fifth dimensional space opera complete with alien bars and laser cannons, like real ones. You know what I mean? It's really cool. So some episodes tie together. Others made no sense in the grander arc of the group trying to get their degrees at this really badly run uh, community college. And the one through line throughout the series was the writing was top-notch joke-a-second comedy that was easily delivered by a very talented uh, comedic ensemble cast. I mean, that writer's room, I don't know if Justin Rowland was in it at the time. That's his co-creator for, Dan Harmon's co-creator for Rick and Morty. But clearly Dan Harmon, if you've ever listened to Harmontown or seen any other projects he's on, he's clearly got this brilliant knack for writing that is just, it's self-effacing, it's funny, it's, it reveres and loves movies, but isn't, isn't pretentious. And I just love that. So, I mean, the show had really good, uh, like I said, an ensemble cast, the people outside the group, there was other mainstay characters like Ken Jeong, who was this crazy Spanish teacher, Ben Chang. He, he's the guy, he's the Asian guy on The Voice, and he's also uh, the doctor from Knocked Up. Fun fact, actually, he wasn't an actor. He was, he's actually a doctor. He's an OBGYN who went to Duke University and he was Judd Apatow's doctor during his wife's pregnancy. And Judd Apatow just thought he was funny. 
And he's like, do you want to be in a movie? You know what I mean? I just think you have a knack for it. And he ended up being, you know, a big part of the Hangover movies and this show. And he's just a wild, fun actor. So it just shows you got it. You know what I mean? You're going to be found and that, uh, you know, it's never too late to start a new career. So, I mean, like, here I am trying this. So hopefully I can Ken Jong this. Yeah, I like it. And the Dean is played by this flamboyant, like really energetic uh, actor named Jim Rash. And just a little weirdo who has all these different uh, outfits. He cross dresses all the time. He's just, you know, he's got that kind of little flamboyant little uh, pitter patter walk. And I mean, there's just little things about him that are so strange. He's just got a weird sexual fantasy about men dressing up like Dalmatians, but they don't focus on it like hard, like make it weird. They make it brief that there's just posters of Dalmatians in his uh, office. There's maybe a little Dalmatian on his desk that, once in a while, when he's giving an important speech, a guy in a giant Dalmatian outfit will just peek his head out and he'll have to go deal with that situation. They're, they're brilliant at making creepy things fun. And that's like the epitome of it. And like I said, any episode can be anything. They do bottle episodes, which are, you know, self-contained, like Breaking Bad's The Fly, where the group collect, where the group, the study group, uh, collectively loses their mind in a study room trying to figure out who stole Annie's pen. They end up like naked, shaking their bodies out to make sure no one, you know, keistered it or anything. And it ended up being stolen by uh, a monkey called Annie's Boobs, who was uh, Troy's monkey from like season one or season two. So, I mean, that's the kind of, that's kind of craziness you get with this show. And the Dumpy Community College was the perfect kind of endless pool of possible storylines where the, where the group could do typical 90s, Saved by the Bell, Family Matters, step-by-step kind of storylines. Or they can go off the rails completely and have an entire musical uh, episode where everyone gets brainwashed and it kind of mocks the show Glee. I mean, you can go into any genre, you know, you can go into music, you can go into movies, you can go into uh, comp- competition with other schools, you can go into cool clicks versus, you know, the losers of the group. If they try doing stand-up comedy, if there's a certain class they get obsessed with, if there's a test they need to study for. I mean, a community college really has, an, like I said, it's just an endless bag of tricks. And the show was designed for Reddit boards and program-obsessed program kind of AV club mouth breathers like me, just nerds. I mean, you just want to talk about, you know, uh, the small one-line quotes they do from, like, the right stuff. Or uh, there's a little wink to Revenge of the Nerd or Nerds or uh, full intricate costumes based on bad 1950s sci-fi uh, movies. And endless deep references to obscure, awful shows like Cougar Town. God, I mean, actually, Cougar Town's not bad. It's Courtney Cox, and it's pretty amusing. It's just Florida, late 30s, mid, early 40s, good-looking women drinking and, you know, hanging out with each other. But it's oddly watchable. I don't know who wrote that, but they did a good job. And the whole show kind of feels like you were in the writer's room. You're just discussing your favorite scenes and villains and fight scenes and how you always wanted to do a breakfast club dancing scene for no reason. And then they do it. So... It's a show with no stakes, but you cared about this kind of little band of brothers and you get to hang out with them for half hour increments. Plus they get to live out your fantasies. You know what I mean? They get to uh, sail on a boat with LeVar Burton while singing Reading Rainbow. You know what I mean? Just these things that you would love so much. And they weren't afraid to go dark with the show, you know, making characters uh, do selfish, kind of unthinkable things uh, to each other because they had fleshed out the souls of these people so well that uh, you could always forgive them if they learned a lesson. You know, if they had a 30-second blurb at the end where they apologized. They felt like your friends in real life in this kind of enviable dream world where they had the sets, designs, props, and full cast of method actors to play pretend whenever you wanted to play. 
and it sounds I God, it sounds like a dream world. This is kind of what I think heaven would be. It's like you're with your friends, you're in this uh you're in the space and you can recreate or reenact movies and you can take it really seriously or you can mock it or you can do both. It's just it's special. And that's what makes community different. And I mean, like one episode, they created a class on whether Nick Cage was good or bad, just because they clearly wanted to analyze Nick Cage for a solid 10 minutes. So that's my spiel on a very special show. Oh, and it it has the best ending ever. Don't worry, it doesn't ruin the show. Dan Harmon just creates a fake community board game commercial at the end, which is hilarious on its own, because it's not just not a show that's uh, adaptable to a game. It's like, you can play friends the game, you know, what would you do? It's like, oh, Rachel might hook up with Ross, roll six, you know, it makes no sense. But then as the fan, there's a family playing the game and, you know, they're saying like, oh, I got you now, you know, oh, I'm Jeff. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, drunk dial, I win this and all that kind of stuff. And his dad's about to win the game and the son is like, ah, 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 you know, kind of like a, uh, a classic board game commercial. And he shows the dad the in-game script for the commercial they're in. And the dad gets all serious. He stops smiling. He goes, you stupid boy. You killed us all. We never existed. We were just part of a commercial. And the whole family just bows their heads in existential shame. (laughs) So it's just this fourth wall knocking, really weird, really dark way to end. And then finally, Dan Harmon, who hasn't voiced anything on the show, fast reads this beautiful emotional monologue about what is isn't included in the community game along with his kind of thoughts love and general uh passions for the show and his difficulty summarizing his emotions at as it ends and he even gets choked up by the end of the commercial so i couldn't even i couldn't recommend anything more i definitely say search a community final scene and you'll watch and it's pretty profound and it's soul bearing too as you'll ever get on a sitcom i mean by the end of it, like I said, by the end of it, he kind of breaks up and, you know, his voice is cracking because he, he can feel it. So, I mean, this is probably as emotional as I'll get about a sitcom. Or maybe not, because TV rules oh so much. So, that's all I got for now. Later. <laughs>